We are in 1 Peter chapter 2 and um, looking at a set of verses that runs from verse 4 down to verse 10. And we are working our way through the verses, not going very fast, but that's by design. And what you have in this passage in front of us is a tremendous amount of movement. It's focused movement. Here is a list of privileges in the believer's life. It all sort of revolves around the idea of Jesus Christ being the stone, the cornerstone of God's church. But here in front of us, once you read through this passage a number of times and begin to look at what is really here, it goes from being what seems to be cosmic, hard to understand, repetitive stuff, to being something with a well-designed flow for your life. My concern is that you would find that flow. That is why so far we've talked about the first privilege, which is Christ himself. And the idea that Christianity is all about coming to him. Christianity was, for Peter throughout his life, Christ. Christianity is Christ. Coming to him, that was one whole message. Then continuing with that idea, moving into chapter 4 a little further, we went on to as a living stone. And that was one message as well, the idea being that if I understand the essence of Christianity and I understand what this whole stone thing is about, that it's all about life and stability in Christ, suddenly from there the rest of the passage is not near as cosmic as it was. To understand then some of the other things we've discussed, We're going to move on from the believer's Christ today into the second thing in our outline, which is the believer's communion. From there, the the passage goes on to the believer's capacity, your place, your position, your contribution as a Christian. The believer's capacity then will go on in another message later to the believer's confidence sometime in the future, to the believer's contrast. But um, some of the messages I'm keeping simple for the reason that I want us all to move through this together, I believe this section can have a tremendous impact on our church. We could, frankly, spend the whole time talking about prophecy because what Peter quotes here is prophecy from the Old Testament. We could turn this into a prophecy series in the Old Testament, but I'm very much concerned that if we did that, we would miss the real bottom line here, which is this, your priesthood as a believer. And just to sort of help you get into what I'm trying to say here, do you even understand what the priest did in the Old Testament? If you don't, how could you possibly understand what it means for you to be a priest today? How often have we quoted as Christians some scripture at random, like from Revelation, and we are kings and priests with him. Quoted it rejoicing, but having it really in our life mean nothing, having no impact whatsoever. How do you see your priesthood as a believer? Do you even understand what it is at all? So these are reality issues, aren't they? You read through the Bible, you quote scripture, you don't even know what it means. And it has no impact on your life. You recite the Lord's Prayer by rote, frontwards, backwards. Since you're a kid, it never changed your life at all. You can recite Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and on and on. And you don't even understand what it means. We live the Christian life like this. So because I understand this is a reality, and I see this whole passage revolving around our priesthood in the end, we've got to work our way up to it and then slowly through it so that when we're done, 
We will see what it means to be a family of priests together in the kingdom of God and hopefully it will be different as a result. So we read in verse 4, Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. To what end? To this end, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now you would immediately realizing he's pointing back to the priesthood of the Old Testament under the Levitical law, but beyond that, any understanding of how to apply it would be dictated by a full understanding of the priesthood in the Old Testament, at least as it would apply to this. I want to deal today with... The believer's communion that we find here in verse 5, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house. I don't want to go any farther than that. I want to talk about the believer's communion, which is the second point in our outline, and it has to do with this. You also, notice the focus on you now. God has something to say to you. You also. As living stones. This is interesting. What it is talking about is the initial transformation that you go through when you become a Christian. See, Jesus is described here in verse 4, coming to him as to a living stone. Now, we've talked about what that means as it relates to Jesus. But now Peter says, since you have become a Christian, you also are now a living stone. Something has taken you from a life of instability and death, which is no life at all, that's life without Christ, to now being like Him. You have now become a living stone. And that is simply to say this, that when He says you also as living stones, He's implying that to come to Christ is to become like Him. Do you see it? If He's a living stone and you've become one, then to come to Him is to become like Him. Don't miss that. So that you cannot come to Jesus Christ, you cannot come to Jesus Christ without becoming in some measure, even immediately like Him. Do you understand that? So that the moment you are born again, there is an immediate transformation that takes place. Now, that is not so much on the outside as it is immediately on the inside. To become born again is to have the life of God implanted in your soul in a moment of time. Suddenly you go from being dead spiritually to being connected with the very life source himself, God. All of a sudden what happens then is you are born again. There's a new birth. And with that new birth comes an initial inward transformation. And that is what makes you a living stone from the first moment. And that is what makes you something like Christ from the first moment. Turn, if you could, in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I want to show you something. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Here's a very interesting thing. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, The God of this age... The Bible is clear that that is Satan, the highest, possibly the highest created angel. 
perhaps had the nearest ministry to God of all the angels, a being with tremendous power, able to have fire come down out of the sky in the life of Job, create something like a hurricane that blew down his houses and killed all his animals, so powerful he could even have the Sabians come in, send an army to carry away all of Job's stuff. So a quick glance at Satan in the Bible shows power to have fire fall from heaven, power to create something like a hurricane, and power to control armies. So the God of this age has a lot of power. And he has taken that power and blinded the minds of those that don't believe. So if you're not a Christian, you live in the realm of darkness. The Bible is very clear on that. But further, the devil has supernaturally blinded you. So that to have an initial transformation when you place your faith in Christ and open your heart and he comes to live within you, is to have suddenly the blindness taken away. And in a moment of time, you can suddenly see as you have never seen before. There's something inside of you imparted to you from God that sees in a way you never saw before, never could see before. And that is why I can say that immediately upon being born again, you, you become in some degree like Christ. Because now you see what He sees. You don't know everything. You remember when Jesus healed the blind man and the Pharisees immediately started to persecute him? And he said, look, I don't know. All I know about what's going on here is that I've been blind. And all of a sudden I see. You're asking all these questions because you want to know him too? I mean, why are you giving me this interrogation? And all he knew was this. I was blind, now I see. When you're born again, you may not know a lot, but you do know that you were blind and suddenly you see and the difference is literally like night and day. Darkness to light. It is an initial transformation that causes you to begin to become like Jesus Christ. So much so that as that uh, light that has come into your soul enables you to see properly, and as the Spirit of God works within you, then outwardly you start to become like Christ. So that if you really walk with Him, after a period of time, People will make no mistake about it. You are His follower. And the reason they know is because you're so much like Him. Turn in your Bible, could you, to Acts chapter 11. I want to show you this in Acts 11 and verse 26. Acts chapter 11, verse 26. And we read here, So for a whole year Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were, what? Called Christians first at Antioch. Do you know that it was the non-believing world that called them Christians? They didn't take the name to themselves. It was those watching their lives. It became so apparent to them that they were so much like Christ, who they claimed to know and follow, that they came to the conclusion the only way to describe these people is to call them Christians, Christ followers, Christ-like. That was the idea. Christ-like. So when you come to Christ, He being a living stone, you joined to Him. His life infused, surging up into you as a stone connected to Him. Suddenly, you are a living stone. And 
partaking of the life and stability of God and thus the change which begins with the blindness being lifted, the light coming in, as more and more light comes in, you begin to become like Him. To come to Christ in any way is to become like Him. And the tremendous thing about that is the more you continue to come to Him in the Christian life, the more you become like Him. You cannot touch Him. You cannot move in on Him and experience His life without some change coming into you. You understand? It's a tremendous thought. For this reason, that you never get to the point as a Christian where you cannot draw in nearer. Isn't that a great thought? You never get to the point as a Christian where you cannot press in nearer to Christ. So that you can go years and years. Some of you have walked with the Lord a day. Some of you walk with the Lord a week. Some 20 years. Some longer. But you can still draw nearer to Him. And as you draw near to Him, you will be made more like Him because that's the way He works with His people. To touch Him is to change. To become like Him. And that's why He says, You also, now living stones... It is an initial transformation, and it is a real one. People should be able to look at your life if you have come to know Jesus, and they should be able to see there's something radical that has changed here. Even if you've barely come to know Him, if it's nothing more than there's a radical change in your outlook on the whole life situation, because that's what comes when your eyes are opened. There is a genuine initial transformation that turns you into a living stone, makes you like Him. But then there's something else if you go back to 1 Peter 2.5. Back to 1 Peter 2.5. He says, You also as living stones are being built up. That's great. I like that. You are being built up. You know what that is? Following the initial transformation is a perpetual edification. A perpetual edification. Do you know what that means? That means an ongoing process of God building you up. It's the idea, I see it, as God doing for you, within you, what you were never able to do on your own. I mean, it is in the end, in the most simplest sense... God doing for you what you desperately hoped He would when you came to Him. Isn't it true that when you came to Jesus Christ, if you've really come to know Him, you were desperate? I don't think anybody comes unless they are desperate. And if, if you see these people who, who come in, they seem to want to follow the Lord, then they don't. They pray a prayer, they walk an aisle, they sign a card, and then they don't. And you wonder where they go. I've always come to the conclusion they haven't found how bad off they really are yet or they would have really surrendered to Christ to be rescued by Him. I always pray for those people. Lord, take them lower. Take them all the way down to the bottom of the pit so that they can see how desperately they need You because they still think they can make it on their own in life. Coming to Christ is all about being rescued from your own inability. And so you find that we are gradually built up in Him. We are being built up. That is so tremendous to me. It means there's something happening within me that never happened before. And it's all about change. 
It's the ability to change, but not by your power or your effort, but by His power and His effort within you. Turn in your Bible, could you, to Romans chapter 8 to verse 26. I want to show you how this building up actually takes place. Now, we can't hinder this process, but I want to be very clear on this. It goes on even when we hinder it. And that is because when God, who is the one that calls you to Himself, when He comes into your life, He begins a work that goes on from the very first moment and never ceases for a moment until you're taken safely into heaven. And that's a work of the Holy Spirit within you. Good months, great months, dedicated months. Months of devotion, months of prayer. Months of fellowship, months of service. Bad months. Backsliding months. Months of indifferent, weeks of apathy. You understand what I'm talking about? I'm talking about being human, right? Well, isn't it good to know that you are being built up? That He is building you up? That, that it happens on the inside by His power and not yours? Yes, you can hinder it, but the work goes on. Let me show you. In Romans 8.26, Paul writes, and he says, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our best of times and times of greatest commitment. Is that what it says? You better get right or He won't be with you. Listen, the Spirit helps you because most of the time you can't get yourself right. Right? Right, right. He helps us in our weakness. I love that. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Someone says, thank God for the gift of tongues. Words that cannot be expressed. And if you have a charismatic background, and you love the gift of tongues, and you immediately think of tongues when you read that, that's it, groans on the inside that words cannot express. But what always amazes me is that people from that persuasion fail to realize it says words that cannot be expressed. And therefore there are no words. Just something to think about, isn't it? So um, what happens then is not tongues. What happens is a deep work of the Spirit of God within you. He searches our hearts. He knows the mind of the Spirit God does because the Spirit intercedes for us, for the saints according to God's will. You, Peter says, as living stones are being built up. Paul is telling us here how it happens. It's a work of the Spirit inside, good days, bad days, but throughout it all, in the weakness of your human condition, God ministering to your inability, He's building you up. Isn't that something to contemplate? In other words, when I came to Christ, I was so painfully aware of my inability to change. And I put it in these terms, my inability to snap out of it, How many things in your life did you try to change? How many times have you heard people say to you, Hey, snap out of it! Oh, thanks, that helps a lot. New Year's morning. You know, you've had this problem your whole life. It's New Year's. Make a resolution and snap out of it. Oh, right, that's going to change my whole life. Let me give you an example, shall I? Last night, (laughs) at 20 till 11, I began to hear a thumping. Now, this thumping was regular, so I knew it was music. And it got louder and louder, so I knew it was my neighbor. And I was very concerned because it was 20 till 11. 
and he was just getting started. So I usually get up at four o'clock on Sunday morning. If I sleep in, it's till five. That's because years ago I heard Pastor Chuck Smith share that he reads his books and commentaries all week and then gets up at three on Sunday morning and goes before the Lord and the things that are really on his heart become his message out of all the homework, all the study. What has risen to the surface of his heart as he waits before God on Sunday morning becomes his message. So I thought, great, Chuck gets up at three, I'll sleep in till four and use the same technique. So that's what I do. And what could have been a full message Saturday can be totally altered and changed and even up until the last minute at 7.30 on Sunday morning. It's critical to me that time. 20 till 11, I hear a thumping sound. And it's getting louder. I knew it was my neighbor. By 12, they were in full bloom, swimming, laughing, shouting, music pounding, and I was angry. And I'm laying there in bed counting. Well, my alarm is set. I'm going to have to reset it. Okay, five's all right. I can deal with five, 12 to five, five hours. That's fine. I can deal with five hours. One thing I cannot deal with, though, I have to confess, I cannot deal with four hours of sleep. I can't. You know, some of you need your eight, some need your 13. I cannot deal with four hours of sleep. So at, at 12, he showed no signs of changing, so I shined my flashlight into his backyard. It's like a searchlight. <laughs> hollered a little bit out the window then I went down we do have searchlights you know motion detectors I went down in the back I just turned them on and they're coming over the fence and I heard uh oh we've done it again because we went through a big discussion about this you know and so they lowered the music but continued to splash and laugh one o'clock in the morning I'm laying there thinking I'm going to get four hours sleep <laughs> I have to preach three times I can't do it I'll be a wreck. I'll have a bad attitude. I'm full of hatred right now. It's going to be worse in the morning. (laughs) Well, it was. We're talking, remember, about your inability. So I woke up this morning, how the Spirit helps us in our weakness. I woke up. I couldn't wake up. One cup after the next. Pony Express, triple caffeine, Thailand. I mean, the whole thing. It's not waking me up. So I come to the office, and I'm just stumbling around. I was in a bad mood. I said to myself as I'm typing my message, Oh, there's an ill wind that blows this morning inside my soul. (laughs) And then, of course, I had to preach the first service, and I had the brethren pray for me. I told them right up front. It's now become an illustration, but I told them up front. I said, I'm in bad shape, man. And I believe in your prayers. And you know what's so wonderful? They prayed for me, bless their hearts, looking at an angry pastor here in the pulpit who's supposed to open his mouth and God talks, you know? The Spirit makes intercession. He helps us in our weakness. How I thank God He can do for us what we've never been able to do. Where we could not snap out, He is the master snapper out of. With a deep work within your soul. And I'm happy now. I've had a triple shot from the Holy Spirit. I'm happy He has interceded for me. Deep in my soul. And now, you know, I just love my neighbor and pray he'll find joy in Christ and not be a night owl, you know, guy that terrorizes me on Saturday nights. And here is this building up. What is so tremendous is that it's for all of us. It's for our inability. It's for our inability to snap out of it 
to change. And it goes on from the moment you come to Christ. It is a perpetual edification. You are being built up, Peter says. He says in uh, verse 28, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined, here it is, to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, you also as living stones. He is making you like Him. He's a living stone. You're a living stone because He's making you that way. Because to come to Christ is to become like Christ. To come to Christ is to gain the work of the Spirit within who helps you in your own inability and at the same time is changing you into the image of Jesus Christ. And He's doing it, Romans 8.29 says, in accordance with a plan that was set in place before the foundation of the world. Now that is a sure work of God for you. So you also as living stones are being built up. You see the communion there with the Lord? It's tremendous. So we've talked about the believer's Christ as our first privilege. The believer's communion here is second. A tremendous privilege to have this work of God in your life. That leads us to the third thing in our outline, which is the believer's capacity. If you go back to 1 Peter to uh, chapter 2 to verse 5. We are ready to go a little farther here. You also, as living stones, are being built up to what? A spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You see where this is going? It's going to a very pointed position for you in the Christian life. When he says you're a living stone and you're part of a whole structure going up with other stones, he is saying you as one of those living stones have a position. I don't know how that strikes you, but for me, as I look back on my life before I was a Christian, you know, you go through high school and you're bombarded with what are you going to be in life? What's your major going to be in college? My major in college? I'm in high school. This is the most insane part of my life. You know, I mean, you're talking about charting my destiny when I don't even know who I am. You know, and you go through your life, so you pick your major. You get out of high school, you're shuffled off to college. You get your degree as you come out the other end of the system and find out, you know, I don't want to do this. Why did I think I wanted to do this? Well, because you were insane. You were in high school, you know, and... Now that you've come to your senses and become a person, you know, um, somewhere out there after high school you become a person. Personhood. You arrive at being a person. And, and now you realize, I don't think I want to do this with my life. Isn't it great to know that when you come to Christ, oh yes, you might make your living, but you find out what it really is to live as you find your position in His kingdom. And we all have a position. We are stones in the structure. So the question then becomes, what is my position? One thing that is critical here is to understand that Peter says we are living stones being built of a spiritual house, not a holy priest, but priesthood. Priesthood. You see how that links you with everyone else? So that your priesthood in the New Testament is never spoken of in terms of Singular terms, you alone, it is always with everyone else. What that says to me is that I cannot find and fulfill my position alone. 
so that I have to, at some point, come to Jesus and say to him, Lord, where do I fit in? What am I to do? What is my place in the family? He says, you are a people now, he says in verse 10, who were not a people before. But now, coming with that same kind of transformation, adopted by God, now part of his family, you are a people, and each one of you has a position. Lord, what then is my position among those people? What then is my position in the family? Have you ever come to Jesus and said that? Have you said, Lord, where do I fit in in the wall? What is my place as a living stone? I was encouraged. I read this week um, in the writings of William Barclay a famous story from Sparta, the ancient Spartans. And the Spartan king was boasting to a visiting monarch about the walls of Sparta and how strong they were. So, of course, the monarch couldn't wait to get there and take a look at those walls. But he got there and he looked around and there were no walls. So he said to the king of Sparta, he said, Where are the walls that you were boasting about so much? With a twinkle in his eye, the king turned and he pointed. See those men over there? He said, Those are the walls of Sparta. He said, Every single one of them, every man, a brick in the wall. And Barclay took that and he made this application. He said, The point is clear. So long as a brick lies by itself, it is useless. Let me say that again. So long as a brick lies by itself, it is useless. He said it becomes only of use when it is incorporated into a building. So it is with the individual Christian. To realize his destiny, he must not remain alone. He must be built into the fabric of the church. See, that is exactly what Peter is saying. He's saying, God has made you a living stone with the intention of building you into the fabric of the church. To what end, Peter? To the end that you would become a priest, that you would function in a priesthood with many others, performing specific functions. And Peter, what are those functions? That you would offer up sacrifices. And we'll talk about those next time. But you see, this is all going somewhere, but it has to begin somewhere. It begins with coming to Him as a living stone, then finding out you have become a living stone, then saying, Jesus, where is my position as that living stone? Have you done that? Listen to the words of E.B. Cranfield. He writes this, The freelance Christian, who would be a Christian, yes, but who is too superior to belong to the visible church upon earth in one of its forms, is simply a contradiction in terms. That's right. That's what I've been saying. To say that you're a Christian and to embrace that in your heart in the truest sense, but to say, I will remain a lone ranger, is to be a contradiction of terms. Because God takes you, calls you, births you, to the end that He would conform you, to the position you have in the wall, in the building, understand? So that you would perform a function and that function becomes priest-like in the sense of an Old Testament Levitical priest. Let's be very clear on that. Priest-like, but it begins with you coming to God and saying, Lord, I'm ready to go there. Lord, I'm beginning to see in the Bible that this is all about being joined together. 
See, one of the reasons we have a hard time, I think, getting in the flow in the church is that you live so much of your life without God. That then is to live in isolation. Because sin is an isolator. Sin isolates you and in the end it leaves you alone. Even if you live in a big house with a big family. Even if you have the greatest spouse on earth. Sin isolates you, right? It has a way of making you lonely. Thus, because it's all introverted, it's like a black hole sin is. Because you live for yourself in sin. To then suddenly come out of the darkness into the light and see clearly is to go through a great change. But the change that needs to go on is this, to realize now that I'm in the light, now that I live for Him, not me, that's going to lead me into a together type life and out of an isolated life. To come out of sin is to come out of isolation. Understand? To come into Christ is to come into communion. It's to come into a family. It's to belong. It's to come into togetherness. Turn in your Bible, could you, to Ephesians chapter 2 to verse 21. Paul is teaching identically the same thing as Peter. And what he does, Peter implies that togetherness with the spiritual house and priesthood Paul comes right out and he uses the word and he does it two times in a row so we don't miss it. And in Ephesians 2.21 he says, In whom, Christ, the whole building, being joined, what's the next word? Together. Being joined together grows. Now watch. Being joined together grows. You get that phrase? Being joined together grows. Put your own name in there. Bill, being joined together with God's people grows. Mary, being joined together with God's people grows. Tom, being joined together grows. Now reverse it. Tom, not being joined together won't grow. Mary, not being joined together won't grow. Why? Because it's God's design that you're joined together and that's the way you grow. And further, it is that way because it's God's design to build you up throughout your entire life, to do for you what you could never do for yourself. And He has chosen to do it with us linked together, not with us apart. Being joined together, we grow. And thus, you must find your place. You must link up with God's people. And together we grow. You see, that's how it works. We grow into a holy temple in the Lord. And then look at verse 22 of Ephesians 2. He says, In whom, notice, here's Peter's phrase exactly, You also. In whom you also are being built together, Paul says. Built together. Joined together grows. Built together. You see it? For a dwelling place of God. In the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but I now understand I was created for God. I now understand I was created in His image as a human being for Him. Thus, there's nothing more important in my life than that I would be together with God's people, growing so I can become a greater habitation for God. Paul says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are collectively and we are individually as living stones. So here's what happens. 
Each person, then, as a Christian, takes responsibility for this at a different time. It is both a privilege and a responsibility. And each person comes to take that responsibility and and partake of the privilege at a different time because we don't all have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Some today will hear this and go on as usual. For others of you, this would be the biggest turning point perhaps in your whole life. Where you go from being a loner to being one who is together with God's people. From not growing to growing. From being unlinked to linked. And we all come into this at a different time. Some hit the ground running with this the day they're born again. Others, they avoid it for the longest time. Use all kinds of excuses. Well, I'm not, sh- I'm not uh, an outward aggressive person. I'm shy. I, I can't meet anybody. I don't know how to get involved here. Well, I'm a shy person. And I have a hard time meeting people. You're looking at a shy guy, okay? I lived my whole life alone. I could never meet people. I was terribly awkward in crowds. Put me in a crowd and I'll clam up just as sure as a hermit crab at Laguna Beach, you know, in a tide pool. I mean, that's me. But you see, God has a plan for me. Out of isolation, into Christ, into His family, into the wall with a, po- with a position and a spot and a function. And suddenly, Mr. Hermit Crab himself is stuck in front of everybody. So you can all stare at me every week. You see? (laughs) Isn't God funny how He does that? And it doesn't bother me now. People say, do you get nervous? Only if I'm not prepared or if my neighbor kept me up late. You know, something like that. But no, I don't. Because this is what I do. This is my position. You see, in the kingdom, it's, it's a tremendous thing to be who I'm supposed to be. Being built up together with all of you. I love it. And it's God that's done that. Completely God. But we come to take this responsibility at different times. Where are you in the process? I thank God for those people in our church that are, that are helping. You know, it begins somewhere. Those that are in their position, those that are just helping out. Because the position changes, you know, through the years. You have to start somewhere. You grow into definitiveness as the years roll by. But sometimes too many years roll by. Don't let it happen to you. Listen to this. I read the words of a person who was around for years, unlinked, but in church. Finally awoke to the together we grow thing and wrote these words. Listen. I've been a dead weight many years around the church's neck. I've let the others carry me and always pay the check. I've had my name upon the rolls for years and years gone by. I've criticized and grumbled too. Nothing could satisfy. I've been a dead weight long enough upon the church's back. Beginning now, I'm going to take a wholly different track. I'm going to pray and pay and work and carry loads instead and not have others carry me like people do the dead. Not have other carry, others carrying me like people do the dead. You see, why not? Because to be carried like the dead are and to be a living stone is a contradiction of terms, right? If you're a living stone, you make a living contribution. You're locked and joined with others. You bear one another's burdens. You don't let anyone carry your weight. When the bag comes by, you don't let the next person put their money in and you don't, you see. 
If it's five cents, five dollars, five thousand, according to how God has worked in your life. You got a quarter laying on your dresser at home. You know you do. You know, whatever it is, you don't let others make your contribution. When you hear that there's a need in the church on the mission field, you don't say, well, everybody will care for that. They'll take care of it. I'm busy. I'm isolated. You know, whatever. You don't allow that because you realize, no, I have a part. How do I fit into this? You hear the bulletin. How do I fit into this? You see the missionary newsletters. How do I fit into this? You hear the heart of this crusade. How do I fit into this? How do I fit in, Lord? You're always asking that question. I am always asking that question. Sometimes it's pray, sometimes it's wait, sometimes it's give, but whatever, you see. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house. To what end? That you would become a holy priesthood. And that's where we're going next time. Brother in the Lord sent me this fax transmittal this last week. And he, he said, you know that verse that says, we also like living stones are being built in a spiritual house? He said, I know, I know, it's an IV. But that's the only version I have handy right now. And I know now from my survey last week who you are that read it. But, uh, oh, you read it because it's easy to understand. Anyway, he says, however, whenever I read this passage, I'm reminded of a story I read in James Michener's Tales of the South Pacific. Listen to this, this is good. During World War II, our armed forces followed a policy of island hopping in the Pacific theater. Each newly taken island was made into a base of operations for the next island's conquest. Air cover was essential, so runways were constructed as quickly as possible. The task fell to the Navy Seabees. Instead of quarrying gravel from coral deposits on dry land, they dredged live coral from the offshore reefs. Then they crushed the live coral into gravel and laid it out to form the runways. The sea bees then utilized water trucks to keep the gravel wet with lagoon water. The coral pieces were kept alive then by means of continual wetting. As small living stones, they continued to grow into each other's gaps and crannies. Thus, what happened is, in that way, the runways gained a strength that would not be possible if the sea bees had used dead coral or other rock deposits. Then he adds this. This story helped me understand better. God's ongoing work of building me and other Christians into his spiritual house of worship Here's the conclusion. The more I grow in Him, my bond with fellow believers becomes tighter and His house becomes stronger. And that's it. You also, as living stones, are being built up together. And thus you grow into your position and into Him. To what end that you might fulfill the priesthood that is yours in Christ? And we are going to look at that next time. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, thank you for all these blessed privileges that we have in the Christian life. God, how we thank you that we are being built up by you. That you are doing for us what we have always had the inability to do, change. 
And thank you, Lord, that you're changing us to make us like you, Lord Jesus. We do pray that for each one of us, you would guide us into our position, whether it's just beginning by helping out or whatever, Lord. But that as the the days, weeks, months, and years roll by, we could truly be found, fitly joined together in just the right spot in your house, doing what we were created and born to do in that unique way that truly brings the most glory to your name and the greatest fulfillment to us as individuals. Father, we will give you all the glory as you do it in us and then through us. For we do ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.